Welcome to today's message from Refuge Point Church. We would love for you to join us for one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play. Now, here's today's message. Great. If you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and go to James chapter 1. I want to do this real quick. I want to just give a shout out to the people who are now watching us live online. Uh, it's pretty awesome. So just want to give you a shout out out there. That is not an excuse for any of you to not to get your booty to church on Sunday, okay? We need you here. We don't need you watching us uh, on your couch, okay? And if you are watching on your couch, shame on you. Get up. We want you to watch us, but we want you to be here too, so I just want to say that too. James chapter 1. Let me kind of let you guys know what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months. We're going to be going through a series uh, in a series of doctrine. These are um, just some sermon messages on the foundational beliefs uh, that we as a church adhere to, and I would venture to say that most Christian churches uh, would also say they adhere to this uh, doctrine. Um, And so we're going to be looking at that. Uh, If you are like me, uh, you get super amped and super nerdy about it. And so you are very excited about talking about doctrine. And the rest of you are probably looking at me like I have done something I shouldn't have been doing at the game last night. But it was just coffee this morning. That's all it was. And uh, so here's, here's why I think this is important and why this should uh, help us out as a church, if I believe if we were to poll most of us, and I'm not just talking about uh, us as the local church, but mainly uh, churches in general, if we were to poll us, um, if I were to ask you what some of the fundamental beliefs of a Christian, uh, what they are, uh, you may be able to name them, but you may not be able to describe them. And so that's what I would love to do is so that everybody doesn't have to say, well, let me, let me call Matthew. Let me call my professor. Let me, let me call these people. They, they got the answer. No, I want you to have the answer because, uh, you know, I'm, I don't have the answer all the time, and I can't um, answer my phone sometimes, okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to just kind of lay out uh, some framework for you to let you know why this is so vital, why this is so important for us as a culture, community, church, nation, whatever, country, uh, why we have... Uh, our doctrine aligned in the Word of God. So I did some research for you uh, because that's what I do. It's part of my sermon prep. I do researches, and I did this research, and I found a lot of research on when it comes to doctrinal beliefs uh, found from Lifeway Research, found from uh, Barna, Pew Research, and some secular researches um, that, I al- that I also found that I'll give you. And I wanted to lay this framework so that we can all understand why this is so important, because if we don't understand why we're doing it, then we'll just be like, well, I don't know, you're just doing it because he said we're doing it. No, we need to understand why. So here's some research that I found pretty interesting. I'm going to start off with this, um, and I, I hope it'll lay some uh, framework for us. 64% of Americans believe that God accepts all religion. So does not matter what religion you are. This is universalism, uh, that God loves you anyway, and you can come on in to heaven. of Christians believe in hell, that fiery damnation, right? Uh, So there are only, 
84. Now, I say only because that's kind of a problem, right? There's 16% of Christians don't believe in, or, yeah, that's right. Two-thirds of Christians believe that everyone ultimately gets into the pearly white gates. Uh-oh, the right. About three-fourths of Americans, I don't know why I say it with a George Bush accent, um, America <laughs> believe that they must contribute their own efforts for personal salvation, works-based theology, which is false theology, what Paul would dispute in Galatians chapter 3. I keep, I'm digressing. Uh, here's some good news, some good news in research. Two-thirds of Americans, depending on how you look at it, Two-thirds of Americans disagree with the idea that God will always reward true faith with material blessings. So that's, that's, I thought it would be less than that because, so what this is saying, research is saying that a third of um, uh, people who, um, of Americans, or uh, they believe that God wants to bless you and give you uh, fancy cars and houses and jets and all of these things. Here's some interesting things about the Trinity. We will get into the Trinity later. When it comes to the Trinity, some Christians believe that Jesus was the first created being, uh, which is a heresy known as uh, Arianism. And this is actually what the Mormon faith, uh, I wouldn't want to call it faith. This is what Mormons believe in, uh, that Jesus was begotten from God Father and his wife, and they did the do, and they, they had spirit children, okay? And this is what a heresy uh, led to, and this is what even some Christians believe. Now, here's what I want to spend our time on, according to Gallup. So this is uh, secular research, according to Gallup. I know a lot of you are like, this research is so helpful. Thank you, Matthew. Only 24% of Americans believe that the Bible is inerrant. Only 24% of Americans believe that the Bible is inerrant. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to talk about the inerrancy or the flawlessness, the perfect word of God. Amen. That's what we're going to be talking about, the Bible, okay? I thought that was the best way to start this because, honestly, if we can't believe it, then nothing I say after this is even going to make any sense. Nothing I say after this is going to mean anything to anyone. So I want us to start uh, with uh, the Bible. We have... 66 books of the Bible, and here's what we affirm to as a doctrine, as a church, that the Bible is God's perfect word, that this is God-breathed and God-inspired. In fact, what I would like to do is just to prove my point to you and give you a number of scriptures that would back me on this, and actually I can give you a line-item list of tons of scripture that could back, but for time's sake, it's already 11.50. Some of you are probably already getting hungry. I'm just going to list 25. Uh, so here's one of them. That's a lie. Matthew, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, one of my favorite passages, Jesus is telling them about the fulfillment of the law, and then he tells them, he looks at them, he says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. So some of you may see that verse, and you may argue and say, well, Jesus is talking figuratively. Listen, I don't care if it's figurative or non-figurative language. Jesus is saying, and the point that he's proven, that every word from the Old Testament will be accomplished. So if every single letter 
every stroke of the word will be accomplished, then Jesus is affirming the authenticity of the word of God. Amen. I'll keep going because I got one amen there. I'm going to shoot for two on this one. <laughs> Matthew 22, verse 41. And while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they replied, he's David's. And he asked them, well, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, call him, calls him Lord? The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day on, no one dared to question him anymore. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus just quoted the scripture. In fact, Jesus does that a lot if you've ever read the Bible or the Gospels. Jesus is always quoting scripture. Here's what I want to present to you that Jesus is, I almost dove off the stage. I don't know why. <laughs> this is what Jesus is not doing because I don't want us to fall in this error. Jesus is not proof texting. Let me, let me describe that. Proof texting is when you take one scripture and you apply it to whatever circumstance that you're in, and you say, see, Scripture says. Let, let me help you out. For example, a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters, will tell you, some of y'all are in the 930. Y'all be quiet because y'all know where I'm going with this. A lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ, you will take Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, that saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, friends to give you purpose and dreams and destiny. And so you'll take that one verse and you'll say, see, God wants to prosper me. God wants to give me all of my longings of my heart, all of my heart's desires. He's going to prosper me. And, and like it's mounted on some churches. And I just want to lovingly tell you, God wasn't talking about you. That's called proof texting. God was talking. Here's a little theology lesson for you. God was talking to the children of Israel at a specific time in a specific place. One of the errors that a lot of us fall into is we'll take those scriptures and we'll say, see, Jesus said that, that I, I'll, I can do a lot of cool stuff. And Jesus said I could have all this material blessing and that I should ask him to have a jet and a nice car and... and and fine, if, if that's what you're after. But here's what I would say. Yes, God wants to prosper you. Side note, the prosperity is that you get Jesus and Jesus alone. If you want the material blessings, that's fine. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing to have that desire, but that's not the ultimate thing that God wants to give you. That's called proof texting. Take one text, apply it to our lives. So when we talk about the Bible and the study of Scripture, one thing that we have to be aware of is that we're not just looking at one small Scripture. We're looking at context, asking the questions. This is hermeneutics. What is going on historically? What is context of culture? What is literary context? So these are questions you have to ask when you're studying scriptures. Now I know some of you are like, you just confused me so bad, Pastor, I don't even know where to start no more. It's okay, just pause and breathe. It's going to be all right, okay? So that, that's, that's an error that we 
fall into when we, when we talk through the scripture. I have a lot more, but I'm going to move on. Uh, you can look at 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God for the uh, teaching and rebuke and, and all of that stuff. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but my word lasts forever. And then Revelation chapter 22 nears the end of the book of Revelation that we all think is really kooky and scary. Uh, John says uh, in the, the Bible, he says that... Um, you sh- let me just read it because I forgot it. I was gonna try to, I was gonna try to look all smart and quote it, and then, yeah, it, it failed. Here we go, twenty-two, nineteen, eighteen. I can't even say the right verse. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, there it is. It just jarred my memory. God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share from the tree of life and the holy city, which are written in this book. So there's no new revelation to be made from the book of, uh, that God has given us. This is God's uh, breathed word for us. Nothing to be taken away, nothing to be added. And here's one of the fallacies that we, that we can come in this room and, and, and really like we can, we can hear. And we may have, if you grew up in church, you may have heard this, especially if you grew up in a charismatic church. You may have heard this when somebody comes to you and they say, well, I have a word for you. I just want to pause and just say, if anyone ever tells you they have a word from the Lord, if it is not aligned with the word of the Lord, then it is completely bonkers, all right? Now, some people will say, well, I got this new revelation, I got this new word. No, you don't, honey, sit down. You don't. And here's what, because here's what we do. We'll flock and we're like, well, I just need a word. You ever like, heard somebody say, I just need a word from God. I just need to hear him. I need to hear him speak to me. Let me say this. If God were to audibly speak to you, dude, you, you, <laughs> that's a little lighter than where I was going to go, so we'll go there. You'll pass out, all right? Man, you'd be cleaning up your pants. I mean, it would be, it's, it's difficult. I mean, think about every time when God would audibly speak, these people will be like, what? I mean, Jesus appears to John, the revelator, and John, what, is, what happens when the messenger comes? He falls flat on his face. Because that's what you do when no one's around and you start hearing voices. <laughs> and so we, we're, we're asking the question, how do I hear the word of God? I, I have a solution for you. Ready? Read the Bible. Amen. That's the word of God. If you're looking for answers, if you're looking, and I wouldn't suggest read the Bible looking for it. If you're looking for the voice of the Lord, he's, he spoke it. It's called the Bible. Yes. Now, before I get into James chapter 1, this is a very long introduction. I'm going to make it just a little bit longer, if I can. Here's what happens, and here's what I want to just suggest, uh, that a lot of us, how we read the Bible. We read it in a few of these ways, okay? And I want you to hang on uh, to your seat because some of them may, may be offensive. And again, I'm not trying to offend you. I, I'm offending myself, okay? I am an equal opportunity offender. I offend myself, and I'll offend you in a heartbeat, and I'll go about my way, not even think anything about it. Let's get ready. Here's how some of us read the Bible. Some of us read the Bible like it's an individualistic Bible. This is called Pelagianism. This is the uh, heresy that we have a, a um, high view of men and a low view of God. 
In other words, you're the point of the story. Everybody else is working for you. They're just your supporting cast. So when we, it's weird because when we do read the Bible, when we study scripture, we're like, oh, see, God wants to prosper just me. Forget all y'all. Y'all are here to see that happen in my life. It's a fallacy. It's an error that we can fall into that the point of the story is you. Honey, let me, let me help you out real quick. The Bible's written about one person. It's written about God. He just so happened to include us and praise God for that. Didn't have to, but he did. That's what the Bible is for. It's not an individualistic book that you read just so that you can take things out of it, just so you can see how you could live some good life that was not the intent of the scripture. Another way that we look at the Bible, some of us read the Bible uh, as the consumer Bible, which right along with what I was just saying. So we take the Bible and we'll, we'll, we'll take the verses where of, of prosperity. We'll take the verses of all these different things and say, how can we gain more health? How can we gain more power? How can we gain uh, more prosperity? And so we just take out, we proof text it, right? We'll take the, the one little verse uh, without looking at context of Scripture, and we'll try to justify some evil deed that we're doing by just taking one Scripture out of context. If you don't believe me, then uh, let's, let's go back in American history where the black brothers and sisters were being heavily oppressed by white, self-proclaimed Christians who took one Scripture out of context and said, See, the Bible says that you're a slave. Right? Everybody okay? Breathe. It's going to be okay, I promise. Just take a breath. Chill out. So we, took, so we did that historically. We'll take that verse. Why? Just so that we can justify more power. And don't think we're not, we're not, we're not too far removed from that. That still happens every day. So we'll take the Bible, we'll look at it individualistically. Individual, that's a hard word to say when you're talking really fast. Uh, individualistically, we'll take the Bible and read it consumeristically. That may not be a word, just made that one up. And then here's what we'll do, and, and here's where uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters, we got to stand firm on. A lot of us will look at the scripture and make it a progressive Bible. And we'll say things like, well, Jesus didn't mean that uh, because he wasn't, he's not in our time. Like, ah, that's old culture. That's, that's old stuff. Jesus didn't mean that kind of stuff. You know, if he were here today, you know, he'd be tripping with me, and, and you know, he would, he would allow my sin. You see how that, 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 that moves you further away from Scripture? You never read Scripture and apply it in the here and now, Right? And so we'll do that, and we're like, well, Jesus really didn't mean that. So I, actually, I can live how I want to, because Jesus, oh, he's just a loving and kind and gracious, and he'll accept all of us. The progressive Bible, and then here's one of the ones that we all fall under, and this is what offends me. We read the Bible sometimes, and we make it the American Bible. All right, so we need nobody to get up until I'm done. Let me explain. We read the Bible and we say, we, we try to make the scripture look so American. And what happens is, is it looks nothing like the Bible. And it looks like some weird 
American cult. All right, let, let, me, let me help us out real quick. Jesus, the man whom we have placed our faith into, Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi, teacher. Let me, let me press on this for just a second if I can. If there was a Middle Eastern man that came in here in his early 30s, our default would be like, I got it locked and loaded. Come near me, bro. I know you got a bomb under that shirt. I am locked and loaded, bro. I'm packing right now. I mean, you laugh, but is it true? Because we have stereotyped a segment people. Here's what Jesus, Jesus was not from Washington, D.C., nor was he a politician. So here's what that means. He was neither Democrat nor was he Republican. Because if your Jesus is Democrat or if your Jesus is Republican, then you are serving the wrong Jesus. Your Jesus is weak. My Jesus is the king of eternity and of all kings, all lower gods, all other kings bow before him. This is the citizenship that you and I, we belong to that. Listen, I'm as American as they come. I mean, I was at the game last night. They were doing the national anthem. I looked at my family and said, stop! This is America. On the brave crowd. Stop and we're going to respect it right now. I mean, I'll fly my flag, you know. I mean, like, like I'm, I'm with it on the 4th of July. But here's what I know. My country cannot give me what cross of Christ gave me. Let me go on a slight tangent, and I get to hurry because it's 12 or 5. All right, now some of you are going to probably hate me when I say this, but again, I'm here to help us. In my cultural observation of the week, I was watching Facebook. Now, I told you all last week that I don't watch y'all's Facebook. I lied, all right? And I did that just so I could watch because of something that happened in our culture if, unless you were living under a rock, uh, you saw this ad that Nike came out with Colin, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. Now, I, before you say anything, let, let me just say something real quick. I don't care where you stand on the issue. I'm not here to press an issue. I'm not here to stand up for an issue. But here's what I saw, and here's what grieved me. The amount of Christians, my brothers and sisters, who said it's time to boycott. I mean, they were just angry at this guy they were angry and hey side note if you're one of the ones boycotting and you wear a size nine and a half shoe and you have a medium short or medium shirt give it to me I won't burn it I'll wear it with pride here's my problem all right if you're offended by that guy, I don't care. That's not what I'm saying. My, my problem is, is how some of us as Christians will be so offended by something. And hear me now, because I mean this with all the love and respect that I can give you. With something that does not matter. Why can't you be offended by the fact that your neighbor is going to hell? And we, we ain't going to go on an uproar and start a militia group about that fact. 
But good God, someone protests something that we love so dearly, we're going to just go in an uproar and be like, I just can't believe it. Boycott, knock you, boycott. Anybody who supports this guy? <laughs> Listen, it's demonic and madness. Because of the fact that you're sleeping while people are going to hell, but you are in uproar about somebody who's doing something that you don't agree with. Yeah, boo-hoo-hoo, right? <laughs> okay, I'm done. Nobody got out and walked away. Everybody watching online probably just cut it off. That's fine. Turn me off if you want to. Dude, I got to hurry. James chapter 1. Here's context of James chapter 1. I promise to God, this will go very fast. You could ask them who were in the 930. This will go very fast, James chapter 1. Here's context for you. Because I just have one point for you, one point alone. I just had to say all that stuff. I feel better. This is like therapy. (laughs) Okay? I love you. I do. I mean it. I won't be watching your Facebook no more, okay? Some of you are like, please don't. (laughs) James is a pastor of... Um, a growing church in Jerusalem. James is also the half-brother of Jesus, whom if you remember in the book of Mark, there was a group of Jesus' family. They come out one day and they look at Jesus and they're like, man, we just got to lock this brother up. He's crazy. James, once a denier of Jesus and who he was, Wanted to lock James, I mean, just think, like, if your in-laws or if your dad or your brother or whatever came out and said, I'm the Messiah, dude, you would be like, hey, Mom, we got a problem. And you'd be calling the nearest place and have that person. So here's James, right? That guy, once Christ was resurrected, His life was transformed, and he became a leading pastor in Jerusalem. And he writes to, notice this, because this is important. James is writing to believers. He's not writing to people who are outside the faith. And that's important because when you look at James, you can easily say, well, uh, it's doing, it's works, it's works. No, James is saying something that I want to point out in the Scripture. That's saying it's also knowing the Word, but if all you do is know the Word, and you're not applying it and doing it, then you're fooling yourself. So it's okay for us to say that we adhere to the doctrine of the inerrant word of God. But listen to me very carefully. If any of us aren't actually doing what it's saying, it has no way to it. So here's James talking to his his church, and he's telling us, Pastor James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is just a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like someone looking at his own face in the mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Let me kind of give you just a really quick illustration, if I can. Um, Me and my wife will be celebrating 15 years of marriage in October, and we didn't get married... Hey, girl, we didn't get married when we were 15, okay? I mean, I know it's legal in Alabama to do that, but we didn't do that. Uh, but we were young, okay? Um, I forgot my point, but I got it now. When we first got married, like, I was, I was a small guy, okay? Came out of high school, I was like 135, all right? Then we got married, we were poor. Like, we were broke. 
right? And this ain't like pity me, bro. Like we were broke. The only thing we could afford was like really bad food. So what we do? Well, what did I do? She didn't. I just ate like all the time. And I gained like 45 pounds like that. All right. Now, here's what happened. One day I looked in the mirror and I said, self, you look terrible. You got stuff going on here that shouldn't be here. All right. Now, remember, I was accustomed to being small little Matthew. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it just stuff happened that I wasn't aware of because I was eating bad. Shouldn't eat bad. Then I started studying. Now, this is at a time in our history as a country where we would subscribe to magazines and they would send you these books that were made of paper and it had pictures in them and it had words in them. Really cool kind of stuff called magazines. I know some of you are like, what? Prehistoric zines? What? So for a year, a couple years, did nothing but research. It's a true story. I researched, I researched, I became an expert of how to get fit and how to diet. Here's the problem. In my research, in me trying to gain knowledge, I was still overweight. Do you know why? Because I wasn't applying what I know. And so here's what I want to caution us with. So some of you would say, oh, yeah, give me some word then, Pastor. Give me that word. And if you're not doing anything with it, then you're becoming spiritually obese and you will be spiritually lazy and you won't do anything. More knowledge does not equal transformation. And that's James' point when he tells them. What James is telling the church here is he's saying, listen, more knowledge does not mean you're going to be transformed. The knowledge plus the application is when you see transformation. So I, I want to caution us, let's not come in here and say, well, I know the word of God. But then you treat your spouse like trash. Because the Bible would tell you to treat your spouse like Christ, uh, husbands treat your spouse, wives like Christ loved the church. Amen. So it's, it's, there's a difference between knowing and then knowing and not doing with knowing and actually applying it with your life. If you want to see like transformation happening in your life, in your relationships, then just a surplus of knowledge doesn't cut it. James is saying it's important to know the word, but it's also important, it's equally as important to do the word. You need to know because knowing plus applying, that's where the transformation takes place in your life. So it's important for us to say we adhere to the inerrant, flawless word of God. But what good does it do if none of us are applying what we know? You know what Amos, the the screaming prophet, um, would would say? There was these group of women um, who were in Samaria at this time, and the prophet came out and he said, "You, and I'm not meaning this in any sexist way, I'm quoting scripture. He tells them women, he said, you women are a bunch of fat cows. Because there were people all around them 
who were hurting and who didn't have anything. But these ladies and these people of Samaria, they had a surplus of stuff. And so what happened was, is he's calling them, you are full of surplus. You are full of everything while everybody else is suffering. And he says, you're just a bunch of fat cows. Now, I'm not calling y'all fat cows. But something happens if all we have is a surplus and a knowledge and all we want to do is just consume and consume and consume and we're not giving out, here's what we become. I'm going to say it a little lighter this time, spiritually obese. And one of the fallacies that happens within church is I'll get this all the time. I get this all the time. Like, pastor, I just need something deep. I need something deep. Because you know that gospel, I need something beyond the gospel. I need like, eschatology and they'll say it weird like that too (laughs) that's hyperbole I apologize they'll say man can we talk about the sign gifts pastor and I don't know why those people are always weird but I'm like no I never know what to say to them you know what people are saying when they say that give me deep give me deep give me deep you know what they're saying Confuse me, confuse me, confuse me. Because if you confuse me, that means I ain't got to do nothing. I can just be lazy. I can just be spiritually obese and consume and consume and consume and consume and never apply. So what do we do? James gives that rhetorical answer when he says, okay, so for those of us who know the word, here's how you do the word. What does he say? Remember this? Care for... The widows and the orphans. In other words, he's saying that there is a culture around you who is suffering. And while a lot of you are so uh, just, uh, you're, you're ready for deep revelation and you're ready for studies and, and like you, you got your podcast ready with your favorite celebrity pastor, I'm crossing my eyes of sarcasm. Uh, you've got like all these books that you're reading and that's fine, please study. I'm not saying don't study the word, please study the word. But my problem is so many of us will study, but we'll never act on what we're learning. Okay. And James is saying there is an error here in the church that I've got to correct. That if a lot of you are saying that you have a head knowledge, but you're still treating your spouse like trash, you're still acting like a jerk, like you can't even do like what you said you would do to somebody, like you can't be loving and kind, then you don't know the scripture. So how do we do this? That's the question. How do we know the word? How do we do the word? Well, well, Jesus, let me ask the question like this. Like, how, how do we follow like after that uh, Jesus, then I, I would just say, if you want to follow Jesus, if you say you're a Christ follower, then you're going to do what Jesus did. You're going to study the scripture. Thanks for tuning in to Refuge Point Church's broadcast. We hope you were both challenged and encouraged by today's message. We would love for you to join us at one of our exciting worship gatherings each Sunday at either 9.30 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. We're located right off of I-85 in downtown West Point, Georgia. For more information, check us out online at www.refugepointchurch.org. Or you can download our church app by searching for Refuge Point Church in iTunes or Google Play.